We're going to go tonight to Psalm 119. We're going to be in Psalm 119. As I said this morning at the end of the service, kind of as a joke, I thought about that. I thought, I should just announce Psalm 119 and see how many people go, oh, it's going to be a minute. Because what you may or may not know about Psalm 119 is it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It has 176 verses. Tonight, we're just going to be looking at eight of them. We're going to look at Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40, here in just a few minutes. Well, here in Michigan, baseball season is officially back underway. As cold as it may be at times, we have begun practicing. My son and my daughter are playing baseball and t-ball again this year. And uh, I have, again, I am enjoying the privilege once again this year of coaching my daughter's t-ball team. So for the past two weeks, uh, the last two Fridays, seven five- and six-year-old boys and girls have come out to the t-ball field to join us to receive instruction and teaching that's relevant to the game of baseball that they have signed up to play. And yes, coaching t-ball is sometimes like herding cats, (laughs) but it is a lot of fun. And as I thought about, you know, how we teach those kids every week how to play baseball, how to be good teammates, how to do this, and how to do that. There's a lot of life lessons they learn just by coming to play t-ball. There's, you know, you think about the rest of our lives. There's a lot of opportunities in our lives to be taught. There's a lot of places we receive instruction in our lives. Probably many of you, the younger ones here in this room, you know, the first place you think of when you think of learning something is going to school, right? I don't know how much you guys all love to go to school, right? You're just probably dying for Monday morning tomorrow so you can get up early and crack the books open, right? Or perhaps you think uh, about going to work. I mean, many of you, I've talked to you, you, you at your work, you have uh, continuing education. You have to go to this and that, learn these different things for your work. Uh, some of you learn uh, things about the arts, you know, or music. Uh, maybe you receive instruction in sports and, and other things. They all offer us opportunities to broaden our horizons and receive relevant instruction to our lives. But, but greater than any of these things, we have the word of God that's given to us to instruct us in the most important pursuit that we have in life. And that's living for God, for his glory in our lives. That's what the word of God is given to us for. It's given to us to show us who Jesus is. It's given to us to instruct us, to help us to to live in a way that that brings honor and glory to our creator, redeemer, and king. And so tonight, we're going to look at this section in Psalm 119 and and with this theme that we want to ask God to teach me your word. Before we do that, though, I want to introduce you to Psalm 119 and give you some facts and features and some things to hold on to. Um, with when this psalm. So Psalm 119, I told you, is the longest psalm and it's the longest chapter in the Bible, clocking in at 176 verses. The author of Psalm 119 is unknown. We, we really don't know who wrote Psalm 119. Um, there's a lot of guesses, you know, there's a lot of suggestions. Uh, maybe, you know, it's even a collection gathered uh, from the things that David wrote throughout his life um, around this central theme of what we'll look at here in just a second. But we do know when you go back, now this won't make sense to you in English, 
you know, when you look at it in your English Bible, but if you go back to the Hebrew in which it's recorded, you would find that this entire psalm is an acrostic. So you have here 22 sections of eight verses apiece, right? That gets you to 176. And, and each one of those verses in those sections begins with a, the, a corresponding letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So it, it begins at the, at the first eight verses. All of those verses in Hebrew start with Aleph, which is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And then the second section, all those eight verses begin with Beth, which is the first, second letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and, then, and so on and so forth. I'm at the end of how many letters of the Hebrew alphabet I can tell you off the top of my head here, okay? But it works all the way through all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet that each verse in that section would begin with that letter. And though these sections of eight will take on their own focuses, there is a focusing around a main theme for the entire psalm. Okay, so, so there, the overarching theme of Psalm 119 is the word of God, is the scriptures. Specifically, this psalm praises God's word as the perfect practical guide for all of life in the heart of a believer. And though this was written well before the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this psalm is obviously written by one and for one who believes in and follows the Lord. So everything you see here that, that the psalmist writes about, he's writing as one who, who has a heart to follow God. And, and though that person lived before Jesus Christ, he still had to have the same faith in God that we have to have in order to enjoy salvation from his sin. And so all of the truths that, are, that apply to one who lived in that time apply to the lives of believers here today. And what it does is it promotes a hunger for the things of God in the life of God's followers. That's, that comes up time and again throughout the psalm. And so what we have to understand is if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, if you're a follower of God, you cannot live without God's word. If you are a follower of God, you cannot live without God's word. In a meaningful, relevant, um, uh, regular way in your life. Unbelievers live consistently without the word of God. And we see the consequences of that in the world we live in, right? If you want to know what a life lived without the word of God, in it looks like, look around in the world you live in. That's what it looks like. Sadly, there are many Christians who live with the same disregard for the Word of God and their lives bear the consequences. You know, I've had conversations with people about things like that, about, well, you know, how do Christians view their Bible? And, and very sadly, many Christians don't know much about their Bible at all. They, they read it from time to time, they look at it, they, they listen to it, but they don't internalize the truths of it. And so what you see in the lives of people is you see stunted spiritual growth, you see constant spiritual struggle, you see spiritual confusion, a mishandling of their problems, a lack of victory over sin, a love for the wrong things in their lives, and more. These are all fruit of the same root, and that is this, that there is a failure to cherish, prize, and embrace God's word in their lives. Pastor Warren Wearsby said it this way, the way we treat the word of God is the way we treat the God of the word. How you view the word of God says a lot about how you view the God of the word. And the circumstances of life may change, the settings of life may change, the methods of our culture may change, and all of that has changed many times over since this psalm was written. 
But the word of God has remained constant and sure through all of that. It's the same as it was then. And what you'll find in this chapter is that the author of this psalm wasn't content that the word of God be in his hands or in his head, but he longed for it to be in his heart. There's a big difference. It's one thing to hold the word of God in your hands. It's one thing to keep it in your head. It's another thing entirely for it to seep down into the core of your being, into your heart, and, 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 and teach you everything that you need to know and, and guide you in the things of God. And so should we desire that. And so to that theme, this psalm is littered with references to God's word. Do you realize that out of 176 verses... All but five of them, so 171 out of 176, reference God's word in some way or another. So you see why we have the theme, right? Let me give you, there are 10 synonyms used for the word of God in this psalm. Now, depending on which translation you're using, all of these words may not appear the amount of times I'm going to give you, okay? Just understand, this all goes back to Hebrew words that are translated in different ways, The word law is used of God's word in this chapter 25 times. Word, referring to God's word, occurs 20 times. The word saying occurs 19 times. You see the words commandment or commandments 22 times. The word statutes 21 times. The word judgment or judgments 23 times. Precepts occurs 21 times. Testimony or testimonies occurs 23 times. Way and ways occurs 11 times. And the word path occurs five times. So I think this might go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Psalm 119, I would put this on the top 10, top 5, top 3 most study, must study list for the Christian. If you're looking for something that as a Christian you must study, you should study Psalm 119. You should take time to work through it, to see what it has to say, to break it down, to apply it to your life. The truths espoused here about the Word of God need to sink into our hearts. And so tonight, let's consider just a portion of it. And let me tell you the whole goal of this. Okay, the whole reason for this message tonight and the whole goal of, of what we want to see here tonight is exactly what we're looking at next weekend. So starting next weekend, next Sunday, we have four days of Bible conference, right? We're going to spend four days hearing from a special speaker, Brother Andy. We're going to hear four times, we're going to come, or four different days we're going to come here. He's going to, he's going to preach uh, five different messages about the Word of God. Specifically, we're going to be spending some time, I believe, in First John. And, and we want to prepare our hearts for that time, that very um, intense Bible-focused time that God will be able to use those times in our hearts and lives to grow us. That we don't come just, hey, just because we're having a special speaker, and hey, that sounds fun, sounds different, but that, that we would be eternally changed by the power of God's Word during that time. And what we see here tonight is, is learning God's Word is vital for us to enter into a relationship with God And it's required for a healthy, vibrant relationship with God. 
You cannot enter into a relationship with God. You cannot come into a saving faith relationship and into a saving knowledge of God and Jesus Christ without the word of God, right? You need that. You need the gospel. And you say, well, what about all those people who lived in the Old Testament? What did they do? They, They heard from God, right? They talked with God. They heard his law. They heard his word. And then beyond that, if you want to have a healthy, vibrant, living, impactful relationship with God, you still need what? The Word of God. It still has to take on a, 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 an important place in your life. So let's look at these things tonight. Let's ask God to teach us His ways with the psalmist here tonight. The first thing we see the psalmist talk about in this section is uh, in verses 33 and 34 that we need to be learning God's word, learning God's word. The psalmist says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. There's a couple things here when it talks about learning God's word. Number one, we see in verse 33 that this is a lifelong learning process. The, the psalmist asks repeatedly, ask God repeatedly in this section before us tonight for his help. I mean, constantly. You'll see as we go through tonight, he's, he's constantly asking God for his help and for specific reasons. And that is something we have to understand when it comes to learning God's word and applying it to our hearts and lives We need God's word to help us to understand God's word. Now, we must devote time and energy and discipline to learning God's word. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have found there are many times in my life where where I have to discipline myself to sit down and and spend time with God, right? Because we've got a million other things that are going through our brains and a million other things that we have to do and a million other things that we have to think about. It's okay, and I need to make time for God. But just because you made time for God doesn't mean that that you don't need God. You still need God to meet you in that place to study his word. At the end of the day, without God's help, the word of God is not going to make an impact on us. Instead, God's Spirit empowers His Word to make a difference in our lives. And so to learn God's Word, we must seek God's help. That's why the psalmist says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. And so as you approach the Word of God in your time, your personal time with God, or when you come into this place or another place and hear the Word of God preached or taught, do you ask God to teach you His Word? Right? Instead of just, well, this is what I'm supposed to do, just open it up and read it. But ask God, would you use your word in my heart today? You understand that when we, when we get ready to, to have a message here at church and, and we have this prayer time, you know, especially you come here on Sunday morning, stand up here, we read the scripture, then we pray, and then we preach. You realize that's not just so I can bump up my sermon time, right? You know, we're going to have a couple prayers in here to get it, just stretch it out a little bit longer. You've been here long enough to know I don't need any help like that, okay? We don't do that just so we can say, well, that's a nice thing to do. Why do we do that? To earnestly and honestly ask God to take your word and use it in our hearts. And so I would encourage you that while you're doing that, that when, when you um, prepare to hear the word of God, 
Whether it's, whether it's um, just in your personal time asking God to teach you, but even when you're here at church and someone says, you know, let's pray before the message, that don't just listen to what the person is praying. Actually take time and pray along with that person that God would use it in your heart as well, that we would prepare our hearts for that. And as we prepare for an extended time of learning from God's Word next week in a Bible conference, will you ask the Lord to teach you from His Word during that time? Will you seek His own personal instruction in your life? And then realize that not only is this something that God has to do for us, but it's, as we said, it's an ongoing, lifelong pursuit. The psalmist says, he says, teach me the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. When, when, the, when the psalmist says here, I shall keep it to the end, what he is referring to is the end of his life, at which time the learning and obedience to the things of God ends. Why? Because we pass from this life if we're a follower of God, right? If we trust in Christ, we pass from this life into eternity where we're made perfectly in the image of God, right? The time of learning is, is, is done. The time of, 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 of obeying God is, is over because now we're made perfectly again and we will continue to obey God and we will continue to, to worship Him, but it's, just, it's, a, it's a different setting. There is never an end in this life to the eternal word of God. It stands forever. It teaches forever. And it is an inexhaustible fountain, a never-ending feast, and an overflowing fullness to our souls. That's what the word of God is. It's not a dusty old book on the shelf. It's not some words we have to drag our eyes across. It's not this, this book for the high and mighty, but it is, it is, it is a never-ending feast and overflowing fullness to the soul. And our education in the things of the Lord is an ever-ongoing and never-ceasing pursuit. So very simply, may we never feel like we have reached the end of our studies of the Word of God. I have known many dear, aged saints, some of them sit amongst us tonight, and I ask them, hey, are you still learning from the Word of God? You know what they say every single time? I am. I'm still learning from the Word of God, right? There's one I'm right there I've talked to quite a few times. And it doesn't matter how many times we've read or heard a particular passage, the living Word of God still has much work to do in our lives. I mean, how many of you have ever found that you've read the same passage probably, you know, throughout the years, five or six times over, and every time it's like God uses it sometimes in, a, in the same way, sometimes in a different way in your life, depending on what's going on in your heart and life at the moment. There's always so much more to learn about our infinite God. And as we learn, may we seek for more than just knowledge. So not only is, is learning God's word a lifelong pursuit, but it is also something that we, we need to understand. We have needed understanding. The psalmist says in verse 34, Give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. So if you're going to learn something, Knowledge is the first step, right? I mean, you can't learn anything without knowing anything, right? But true learning means taking what you have been taught and, and taking it in in true understanding. I mean, that's true about anything that you learn. 
I mean, it's one thing to know what a double play, the Pythagorean theorem, a fermata, or an interrogative sentence is. But it's another thing to understand that information and thereby be able to apply it to your life, to your practice, or your calling. To take that and say, okay, I understand this concept, now I'm going to use it in my life or in my studies. And once again, we need to echo what the psalmist says. He directly asks God here for understanding. He knows what he said at the beginning of verse 34. Give me understanding. So where do we need to go to find understanding about the things of God? We have to go back to God. He's the one who teaches us. He's the one who helps us understand it. Let us not be content with merely knowing what God's word says. Let us ask God to give us the means to understand what it says. And you'll find that, that understanding results in action. Notice what the psalmist says. He wants to understand God's law so that he can keep it and observe it with his whole heart. The whole of one's heart cannot observe God's law until understanding from God is applied to that person's heart. And so, then, knowledge and understanding lead to follow-up action, and they necessitate obedience to the things of God. And the next three verses show us that, because not only are we to be learning God's Word, next, the psalmist shows us in verses 35 to 37, we are to be obeying God's Word. And that obedience begins in verse 35 with a delighting in God's Word. It says in verse 35, make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. So knowing and understanding God's word lead us to the next request the psalmist makes of God. For when we know God's word and we truly internalize its truths, understanding it, it will call for our obedience. And so we can ask God to make us walk in his ways. Notice here what the psalmist does not say. The psalmist does not ask God to do for him what he himself, what he must do for himself. Do you realize it's not God's job to carry us where we need to be while we sit passively in a chair, right? Oh, you know, let go and let God, he'll just make you. We still have to actively obey God. He says, make me walk in the path of your commandments. That's an active pursuit. But at the same time, it is not an entirely independent pursuit of God either. So we need God's help that we may walk in his ways, but then we must choose to walk in those ways with God's help. It's, a, it's what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 and 13, he, he talks about that when he writes to the Philippian believers about how they are to, to follow things of God and, and pursue them, but then it is God who works in them both to will and to do his good pleasure. It's a necessary tension that we have to live with. And this comes about through what the psalmist says at the end of verse 35, for I delight in it. That's, a, that's a, such a powerful word. And we have to ask ourselves, do I delight in the Bible? Do I find joy in opening the Scriptures? Because regretfully, many Christians do not delight in God's Word as they should. Instead, the Bible is viewed as a chore to accomplish, or a book full of, well, thou shalt nots, or 
that which is, or a book that's reserved for those of the highest spiritual order. But instead, the word of God should be life to the believer, a stream in the desert of a barren wasteland of sin, a beacon of hope, and the protection of a godly life. That's what the word of God should be. That's what it is. It's something we take delight in. And something you take delight in is something you enjoy doing, right? We all have things we enjoy doing. Right? We all have, have hobbies and interests and time we spend here and there. And that kind, of, that kind of view is what we need to take in the Word of God. Because without the Word of God, how can we ever hope to find life eternal, let alone know how to live for our eternal God? We must ask God to deepen our desire for His Word. And a follower of God who fails to delight in God's Word will see that play out in other parts of his life. You look at the symptoms of someone who's struggling spiritually. You look at the symptoms of someone who's living a life disobedient to God. And I'm telling you, you're going to go back and find someone who doesn't delight in the Word of God. Church attendance takes on the minimum requirement. Personal time with God has no meaning. Sin goes unaddressed in that person's life. Relationships are not maintained in a healthy manner. These are all symptoms of a greater issue that God and his word are not the highest priority in that person's life. They kind of just fit in wherever they fit in. Yeah, they're important, but they're not given the most importance as as God requires. And so we need to seek God's word so that we may choose what is right. And that's what the psalmist says here, verses 36 and 37. We need to be choosing right over wrong. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. So here the psalmist seeks God's help to choose obedience over sin. The mark of godly living in a word is obedience. Now, this naturally means that we have to put away wrong in order to do right. And a change of inclinations is what's up first here. The psalmist says, incline my heart to your testimonies. The word of God does battle against the natural covetousness of sinful man. Do you realize that that covetousness is something that invites a lot of other sinful friends to move into your life, right? If you, if you look upon that which we do, what you do not have in your life and begin to covet and desire it, then you're going to start down a pathway of other sinful choices in order to get those things. Instead, the psalmist says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. We must desire to obey him, not our fleshy wants, desires, and tendencies. And understand that in Christ, the old man has been made new. We talk about the old man and the new man throughout the New Testament, right? We talk about those those pictures. And understand that in Jesus Christ, the old man isn't just made new, the old man is no more. All All things have passed away, behold, all things have become New. Now, how many of you have found that if you know, you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, and the old man isn't around anymore, but you still struggle with sin? Okay? I'm glad. Thanks for not letting me be alone on that one tonight. Okay? It makes me feel better. 
We'll say, why is that? I mean, if the old man is not around anymore, because you live with this flesh, this body you live in, and it really likes the old, well-worn path of your sin. And that's what it's used to doing. It's used to sinning. It makes it feel good. It's of this world, right? And so we need God's help to use God's word to instruct our obedience in him. And oftentimes, what we need then is a fresh look at these things. The psalmist says in verse 38, I'm sorry, verse 37, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Charles Spurgeon wrote in his commentary on the book of Psalms, he says, sin first entered man's mind by the eye, and it is still a favorite gate for the incoming of Satan's allurements. You go back to Genesis chapter 3 and you read that, right? What does it say? That Eve looked upon and behold, it was pleasant to the eyes, right? And the things that Satan was tempting her with, that, oh, that sounds really good. And we have to understand that that which we delight in is what we spend time looking at. That's true with anything in our lives. We enjoy that, so we, we, we delight in that, so we look upon it. You say, well, I mean, but sin is so ugly. Sin is so, why would I ever understand, too, that even things that should repulse us like sin do repulse us less and less the more we look at them. You ever found yourself doing something wrong and you knew it was wrong? And you, 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 you confess it to God, and you're like, I can't believe I'd ever do that. But then you keep falling back into that same habit, and that same habit, and that same habit. And you're giving in to victory over sin again and again in your life. And it's like, why doesn't this, because you keep spending time looking at it and going back to it, it's, it repulses you less and less when it should repulse us more and more because of who we are in Jesus Christ. So that if we delight in God and his word, that we will look upon the things of God and the things that please him. But if we delight in sin and sinful things, our gaze will be drawn to those things. And so we must be careful as believers to not be double-minded. James says a, di- a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You can't try to have one eye on the world and one eye on the word. We can't live like that. We have to focus on God and his word. We need God to give us life in his ways. Because the way of God is the way of life. And the way of the world is sin and death and emptiness. And as we learn and understand and then obey God's word with God's help, we need to seek to internalize these things in our lives. That's the last thing we see tonight in verses 38 through 40. Is that not only we need God's help so we may be learning God's word and obeying God's word, but then so we can be internalizing God's word. In verses 38 and 39, we see there is a new purpose given to those who follow God. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your judgments are good. So the psalmist is now committed to following God and fearing him. We see that phrase used over and over, especially in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord, the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the greatest fear because it casts out all other fears in our lives. 
It is not a dread of him, hoping he does not strike us down, but it is a reverence for his name, a devotion to his service, and a commitment to his calling in our lives. This is the fear of the Lord. And so, let us then long for the judgments of God and seek his word to be established in our hearts. This is our new purpose as followers of God. And this comes about by seeking him and devoting our lives wholly to his service. The greatest calling of our lives is to bring honor and glory to God. We've talked about that many times. I've said that phrase or something like it many, many times. And we do this through fearing him and obeying his commandments. And the reproach that sin brings on our lives is then turned away through our empowered obedience to God. So not only is there a new calling or a new purpose on our lives as we seek to internalize God's word, now we have new longings in our hearts in verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. New purpose for God is rooted in the new longings that we have for God in salvation. And what are those? Well, Instead of longing for sin, we long for his word. Instead of longing for self, we long for him. These are the results of internalizing the word of God, of getting it from our hands and our heads to our hearts. That's what internalization is, getting it to our hearts. It isn't enough to merely know what the Word of God says. Nor, I would say, we want to stop at just understanding it. We want to live it out. We want to make it a part of who we are. That's what internalization is. It becomes part of our identity. It becomes part of our character. The truth of God's Word then shapes our character and actions, defining us. And it creates then within us a longing for the things of God. Do you long for God's Word? Or... Do you struggle to notice when it's absent from your life? That'll tell you right there how much you love the Word of God. And God will fill us with longing as we live for Him. Learning God's Word is vital for us to enter into a relationship with God and is required for a healthy, vibrant relationship with God. So these are the responses that we see here tonight of a heart that longs for God's Word. It is a heart that that longs to learn, obey, and internalize God's truth. God's word affects the everyday life of a Christian, and God's word captures the attention and heart of a believer on a daily basis. And next week, we have the wonderful opportunity to focus on the word of God as a body of believers. So, So let our prayer and attitude be the same as the psalmist here. Teach us your word. And may the Lord have the freedom to do his mighty work in our hearts, convicting us of sin, strengthening us in himself, and growing us in his grace. We have truly been given a gift. The word of God, a balm to the soul. It is is that which instructs us and draws us closer to himself. 